Sometimes you can feel that the odds are really stacked against you. And sometimes that is actually very true. Today we're going to talk to somebody who had a real mountain to climb, who has done very well and is going to share his wisdom with you. Hit the music and let's get started. So often on this podcast, I have on people to tell you what to do, and occasionally I bring on people who are very much like us, who have taken the journey, who are dealing with issues that you deal with in your everyday life, and have to confront this weight loss journey that I myself am stumbling along right now. Joining me today is an everyman just like that. His name is Daniel. And I didn't get his last name because I'm that professional in doing this, but he has lost 150 pounds and he's joining me today to tell us his story. Danny boy, how you doing? Hey, <laughs> yeah, I've never heard Danny boy. <laughs> I've been interviewing a lot of people from over in Great Britain. So very much uh, it's, it's on my mind. <laughs> very cool. No, that's, that's cool. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm very excited to be on. Well, no problem. So since I don't know you, but I'm going to pretend for the next hour so that you are my best friend. <laughs> well, we did bond over robots. So. We did giant robots because after all, I might be an adult, but I'm a child. Exactly. <laughs> I think you are very much like I am in, in the fact that your life has been a constant roller coaster of weight gain and weight loss. In case we're just going to hop in. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. That that yo-yo, man, it's real. How did yours start? I've always been heavy my whole life. That's, you know, like a lot of people. And so I, I don't I don't think I can remember n never not being on a diet or, or trying something, right? I'm going to say, would you say it was how your family's eating methodology? Did you come from a family of people who were not the most fit? You know, there, there's definitely that in my family. But then there's also some very fit people in my family, and they would all eat about the same stuff. So it, it's it, it's hard to say, you know. I know, like, I, so I, I'm I'm in the Hispanic community, and if I looked at the numbers right on the CDC, the Hispanic community has the second highest obesity percentage uh, next to African Americans. So something there. Now, do you think that's just genetics? Do you think that might have something to do with the way? the diet itself is organized or more likely what it is. It's just contributing factor, contributing factor on top of contributing. Yeah. Factor. I think it's contributing factor, contributing factor. I mean, could be genetics. It, it, it could be, you know, I know poverty rates kind of match up with those things too. When you're poor, the food you have access to is much lower quality and right. certainly much higher in things like high glucose corn syrup and carbohydrates and the cheap stuff to produce. Right. But anyway, back to you and your poor roll of the dice with genetics. Yeah. So as a child, you were heavy. Yes. Yeah. And as an adult, the all of it. So, Do you remember the first time that you tried to or were forced to confront this issue? Yeah. Uh, I remember being, let's say, like 11 or 12. And my grandpa, because my grandpa had been a competitive bodybuilder in Mexico. So very fit guy. And he told me one of the ways he would slim down is he would make a sweatsuit out of uh, trash bags. And so he told me, try wearing one of those 
and ride your bike around the neighborhood. And I remember riding my bike, like, because we had lived in like a circular neighborhood, so like laps. And I would just ride my bike, we're in the garbage bag, doing as many laps as I could, just sweating as much as possible in an attempt to lose weight at like 10. Well, that is definitely awesome, healthy advice for right. a child. Right. Did you ever nearly pass out? Did you? Because you're dishydrating. Yeah, yeah. You're just losing water weight at that point. No, no. I never got to that point. I was 10. I was also not going to do something I didn't want to do at that point. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I would I would work out, but then I'd be like, okay, this sucks. I'm going inside. Did your grandfather have you doing weightlifting around that age? Uh, a little bit later, like 12 or 13, we, we did some weightlifting together. Because, yeah, until puberty hits, weightlifting isn't very valuable. You don't have the chemistry in your body to utilize that kind of stress. Yeah, that's what he said. Like, you need to grow in order to be able to lift. Well, that's good he didn't put you through that when you were too young. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when I was 11 years old, I weighed 280 pounds. And my upbringing was relentlessly cruel because of that. Upbringing, my peer interactions were relentlessly Mm -hmm. cruel. How how was your childhood in regards to that? Uh, it wasn't bad that way at all. The area I grew up, there was a, a few overweight kids. So we all kind of like worked together to make sure nobody got bullied. Plus, I was in a weird situation where the area I was living in, they were constantly developing new schools. And literally every year of elementary, I had a different new school to go to. So like everybody was the new kid. Like there was a core group that kind of like, cause they were all within the same neighborhood. They would move to the, wherever the new boundaries were set. But, um, yeah, there was just so many new kids. There wasn't really a lot of bullying. No time to establish clicks because next year it's a different place and everybody's yeah. new. God, that would have been so nice. That would have been just so It nice. was a weird thing, man. Just like, oh, that's the school now. Okay. <laughs> you had a click of people who were in roughly the same shape. You prevented each other from getting bullied. So you had your own group that insulated you, at least from that standpoint, you were spared that level of cruelty from society. Did that maintain throughout your entire childhood into your teen years? How were your teen years? You know, uh, I always felt uncomfortable in my own skin, right? I, I always had that awkwardness as a teenager, you know, lack of confidence and all that. A lot of it stemmed from, from being overweight. I'm sure there's some of it just being a teenager. It's kind of hard to say where one line starts and one line ends, but I definitely feel like I I would have, I experienced rejection in dating and a lot of it had to do with my weight or maybe that's just what I blamed it on. I don't know. I felt that I felt being left out of things because of my weight. I felt like I couldn't do things because of my weight, like wanting to play sports and things like that. I just physically was not able to. I was also born with a heart condition, so there was a lot of sports that I couldn't do anyways, whether or not, or not I was in a healthy weight. If you don't mind me asking, what was the heart condition? So uh, it's called transposition of the greater valves. Uh, basically, your heart valves kind of go X-shaped, like they flow in one way. and fl- Yeah, I was born with mine parallel. It's, it's a thing that happens. There, there's millions of adults that live with it, and I happen to be one of them. Simply because I'm unfamiliar with this condition... What is the end result of having... The pipes are backwards. What is the effect of that? A lot of people do die of it if they're not treated. I had a procedure that was done in the 80s. They don't do it now. They do something else. Like if your child is born with this, they would do a different type of surgery. And it's my understanding then you would have another surgery at like 16 that basically fixes it for good and it's not an issue. So now it's not a big deal. 
but for people my age, it's a deal. You know, it can put me, um, eventually I, I might need a heart transplant, but they don't know yet. Oh man. Yeah. Was it dangerous for you to work out or just you couldn't get the blood, couldn't supply enough oxygen? Oh, no, no, nothing like that. No, it, it still supplies the oxygen. It's still, it's still able to move. The, the problem is, is like, I wanted to play football, right? Since I was a big kid, I thought, at least I can smack some people around. <laughs> That's a fair thought. Yeah. That's exactly the kind of thought I would have as a... As a 16-year-old boy, why not? Uh, but the, the fear was that uh, direct impact right into my chest might do something to my heart maybe knock it out of rhythm or or just because it's so fragile with the with the way it operates ah so that prevented you from any contact sports is what i was told so like i really liked karate growing up because i was in the you know 80s of course i love karate so yeah we all wanted to do karate i i still want to do karate <laughs> we can do some karate in the back if you want just like stepbrothers <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> I now box, but I also want to be able to kick and my kicks are poor. <laughs> right, right. Let me just bring it back around to me and my desire to hit things. That is <laughs> that is that is just the purpose of my life, just to hit things because I didn't tantrum enough as a child. Mm-hmm. And, and th- that still affects you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I literally just saw my cardiologist last week. What kind of exercising are you capable of doing in your life these days? Oh, I don't have a limit. Like, I, I mean, I couldn't do like if I wanted to go join an MMA gym, right? That I couldn't do. But uh, yeah, weightlifting, cardio, rowing machine, Pilates, yoga, like that's all. It's all fair game. Zumba. Yeah, I can shake it. <laughs> I suffer from terminal white boy rhythm. There's just no way. <laughs> How did you get to 150 pounds? How did you, you know, there's heavy and then yeah. there's. 150 pounds. Oh, and then th- there's where I was at, which is like, damn. Um, yeah, it, it got it got not good. And I'm still going, right? So like the last weight check, which was a couple days ago, I'm nearly down 160 now. It's, it's just falling, which is great. A lot of it stems from the heart issues, right? And, and it's a whole backstory of, of what happened the last few years. And that's a lot of why it got so, so large, why it got so large. But I've always, I've always been pretty big. Let's get into that. So you were all, when you say you were always pretty big. I was like 270 in high school. How tall are you? I'm 5'4", 5'5". 5'4", 5'5". Yeah. Okay. So, so bowling ball. Bowling ball. A little round, yeah, round. Um, An apple with legs. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you get it. <laughs> At 11, 280, and about yeah four years ago, 270, and then mm-hmm. just a couple months ago, 250, 256. So okay. I understand, Yeah, uh, but still 150 pounds. I mean, that's we're talking 100 pounds in my case, but uh, that's still 150 pounds, and I'm 5'8". Yeah, yeah. Not that that really matters that much when we're talking about th- these degrees of weights. Yeah, yeah, like I, I was talking to the cardiologist last week, and uh, we were like, okay, well, according to the scale, like your ideal weight is like I think he said one forty. I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen, but we're gonna we're gonna get as low as we can get, you know. Well, where are you sitting at now? So right now I am sitting at two ninety five. Two ninety five. Yeah. 
And I had been as high as uh, 460. 460. Yeah. Wow. And maybe higher, but we don't really know. That I understand because when you get that high, it, it's very difficult to even want to weigh yourself. I mean, hell, even when you just get 50 pounds overweight, it gets you get resistant to wanting to look at the scale. So part of my story is I, at one point I was confined to a bed uh, because I had internal bleeding. And so I couldn't be weighed at that point. Was that a car accident? Was that? It's all part of what happened to me. So you just have to take us through the story. How did you get? How did you get from high school at two seventy, which is a lot? Don't get me wrong. Right, right. But two seventy is not four fifty. Right, right. So all throughout my life, my my weight would slowly increase, maybe fifteen to twenty pounds a year. It seemed like, but then all of a sudden, like the last few years, it really started piling up. What were the factors that 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 brought it on? Because I think a lot of people, especially people who don't have to deal with weight issues, think it's sort of like, well, he just was lazy. He didn't have control and all these different things. But they don't take into effect that there might be physiological factors, that there are emotional factors, Mm -hmm. that there is also the fact that the entire food industry is set up for everybody to fail Mm -hmm. and all these things compile. Yeah. um, I mean, I, I, I. Constantly did the where I would lose weight for a few months and then it gained back. Or um, there was one point when I was about three sixty, I got down to to two thirty, and then uh, had a really bad breakup and almost gained it all back within a year. So depression is a big factor. Yeah, depression is a big factor. I, I've always had very sedentary jobs too. It's corporate America. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I would always work out. I would always go to the gym. I would always be fairly healthy, even for my size. Uh, you know, about four years ago, I started packing on weight really quick and I got really sick and it ended up, they found blood clots in my lungs and in my right leg. So that's when pretty much everything hit all at once. I I had what they called blue lips. Like my circulation was really bad because of the blood clots. I got admitted into the hospital and almost immediately, like I got in, I went into the ER at 11 in the morning and by five o'clock that evening, they were doing surgery on me. They went in through my neck right here and put um, like a big long tube down into my lungs to uh, bust up the clots in my lungs. That's rough. Yeah. How long was the recovery from that? I mean, you could argue it's been four years, you know. Um Fair enough. It's it's been rough. What I was told at the time is that there's a twenty percent chance of survival if you have a blood clot in your lungs, and I had multiple in both lungs. So a near death sentence. Yeah, yeah. I was literally in a end of life room. That's what they put me in. When you survived the surgery, which I'm assuming the fact that I'm talking to you that you did. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> what was the thought process? So you've you've got you had your surgery. You were out. You're recovering. You weigh who knows how much at this time. Right. And I'm assuming that prior to the surgery and health health issues, and I don't think it's possible for most people to to weigh that much without constantly feeling down and depressed and to some degree Mm -hmm. hopeless, though I don't want to ascribe psychological feelings to you that you might not have had. Yeah. At this point, what was the thought process on how do I get back on track? What did you decide for yourself? I mean, I wanted to live. Right. Like I, I, I didn't want to be in the hospital. I didn't want to be 
in the ICU. I didn't want to have a tube down my neck to save my lungs, right? So I knew something had to change. At that point, though, the whole point was just, just to get me stable, just to get me out of the hospital and on the path to recovery to eventually then lose weight. I was told, you know, I had a lot of little things other than the clots that all contributed to making this a really bad situation, right? Like being born with a heart defect did not help my situation. Being heavy did not help my situation, right? Being depressed did not help my situation. So when the clots then came, I was already set up for failure. You were set up for failure. Yeah. You had the surgery. You began recovering. Mm -hmm. You knew you needed to do something so that you could survive and ideally live a much more healthy and just better lifestyle. Yeah. So what were the steps that you took? How did you, how did you go from 20% chance of survival to down 160 pounds? The big motivator, right, is because at that point, I was so bad with the clots and everything else. Uh, I was told that if I don't lose weight within five years, that could be it. Like, done. And potentially, I would need a heart transplant, but they only do that unless you, you're under a certain BMI. So I needed to get to that BMI in order to qualify for the heart transplant. So just to lay out the full road, what was the BMI you were at to the BMI you needed to be? Oh, I don't even know at my biggest. I mean, it was it was in the 60s or 70s. It was huge. And I needed to get down to a BMI of 40. So you can still be big, but not where I was at. Right. Uh, I think it's 40. Maybe it's 35. It, it, lower. Lower is the answer. Much lower, which probably translated to somewhere between that 150 to 200 pounds. Yeah, somewhere in there. Somewhere in there. For me. So, like, they... You know, the, the doctors just, you know, they're not nutritionists, right? So they they were just like, you need to lose weight. Stop eating so much. Go see this person. Uh, okay. Stop being a fatty and get your ass in shape. Yeah, basically. Thank you, doctor. That that prime medical advice helps. <laughs> right. Oh, oh, that's all I need to do. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. So I did everything, man. I, I, I tried calorie restriction. I tried keto. I tried uh, low carb, no carb. I did weird stuff too. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Ducan diet. No, I've not. But please lay it out because I don't think anybody listening to this has. So uh, apparently it's fairly popular in Europe. It's not, not as big over here. Um, but essentially it's another, another low carb uh, diet. Uh, very high protein. Uh, there's a list of like 100 vegetables and foods you can eat. And that's all you eat from. They do like one day you can only eat protein. The next day you can eat protein and vegetables and it just goes back and forth like that. It's it's based off a doctor named Ducan. That's why it's called the Ducan diet. Is it just you keep switching up your diet or did it just take you a long time to f settle on the one that really works for you? Well, see what would happen is I, w I would lose some weight and then it would plateau. And then, and then I would get frustrated with the plateau because I knew I had that clock ticking over me. Right. And, and I would try to get through the plateau, but then like one of my health issues would kick in and then I would be sad and I could be immobile for up to a month and then it would be frustrating. Would you start eating? Yeah. Yeah. Junk again. 
you know, I mean, my family means well, but they're not going to cook the meals that I need to be made in the way I need to make them. And then, you know, what, what else are you going to do? You literally cannot move, you know, either I couldn't walk that day or something. Right. I, I mean, I got so far as I looked at, at, at uh, weight loss surgery, I went to a clinic. How did they, what did they, so the bariatric band or some variation of that, mm-hmm. what did they tell you? Cause they really like to sell those things. Oh yeah, they do. Um, there, there's quite a few of them. Um, there's two in my area. There's one that, that it just seems like, all right, how much you got? Great. We're going to, we're just going to do it. There's uh there's the other one that seemed to be more of a program and they had a higher rate of success. So like for them, you had to lose, uh, in my case, I had to lose 40 pounds just to even qualify for the surgery and others. It all depends on where you're starting at. But the idea is to show that you're motivated and to give you a starting point. So I get that. That makes sense. And so they sat me down with a nutritionist and she was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to drink these meal replacement shakes and that's all you're going to do for a month. And, you know, that's it. And so, I mean, that seemed daunting, especially to go from eating to, to not, you know, just drink your shake. But I did it, right? I I, I did what I was supposed to do and, and I did it for a month and it was surprisingly easy. It was so weird. I mean, I missed the idea of like food, right? But but my shake was uh, filling enough that I didn't, I was okay. But when I went to do my weigh-in, I had lost 20 pounds in that month, which is great. But she was disappointed because she said I should have lost the full 40. And she kept telling me, oh, well, you cheated clearly. And I was like, no. Your body couldn't have variations. You had to be the villain. Right. Right. I was like, no, I, I did exactly what you told me to do. Like. I'm doing it, you know? And she kept saying, no, 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 you cheated, but that's okay. We'll go again. And like, no, you know? <laughs> like, So it was her attitude and the way they were effectively blaming you for their perceived program's failure that, that put you off on the bariatric? Well, it wasn't that, but it made me, it made me question things, right? Plus, I've, I have family members who have had the bariatric surgery. And they lost weight at first, but, but then it, it all came back. I even, uh, there's a clip from, uh, you heard of that show that my 600 pound life. I've heard of it, but I have not watched it. Okay. So in it, it's, it's people who are clearly struggling and all that, but the doctor in that there's, there's a clip, um, it's on YouTube. I can send you the link if you want. Sure. Uh, in it, he talks about, uh, how like 90 to 95% of the bariatric surgery is unsuccessful. Because people don't that high. Well, that's what he says. I don't know if that's an actual stat or maybe at his clinic or whatever. It's not a strong selling point for his very livelihood. So yeah, I don't know whether it's accurate, but there has to be something to it. Yeah, I have a friend who 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 did it, mm-hmm. and I have I have another friend who manages every kind of. He's wealthy, so he manages every kind of chemical, physiological, surgical shortcut that he possibly can, mm-hmm. and it always. Given enough time, issues always resurface, and it just kind of makes you wonder how valuable it is to do those kinds of things under non-life-threatening circumstances, or even under life-threatening circumstances, because the argument I keep having him with, him with him is, why would I do the surgery when I could simply fast for a month and kind of get this roughly the same result without 
cutting into myself and having surgeries and fundamentally altering your body forever, altering my body forever in ways that doesn't, that seems a little bit iffy to me. I think cutting off 90% of your stomach capacity is not helpful. I, I think that there's consequences to that. And your stomach grows and shrinks by the amount you eat. I can shrink my stomach just by not eating for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And it still have its elasticity as opposed to leaving a two inch portion of my stomach and tying off the rest. Because I don't know what happens to the rest of my stomach when it gets tied off like that. Well, and you lose your ability to, to process the food that you take in, right? Because you've cut off your intestines and all that. It doesn't seem like a like a viable solution to me. And then like I started looking at this is completely unscientific, but it, it's just what I looked at. I started looking at Instagram accounts of people who have lost a lot of weight, right? who have done uh, weight loss surgery. And I noticed that a lot of them, they lost a lot in the beginning, right? Like the first few months, maybe the first six months or so. But then it slowed down, right? And and you could argue, well, that's because they got closer to their weight. But a lot of it, like, man, they just really slowed down. And then I noticed like a lot of them would not update in a really long time. And so that made me wonder like, well, did they gain it back? What's going on here? Uh, and then, you know, with that algorithm, it'll show you like, oh, you like weight loss, check out these other people. And so then like fasting people would show up, right? And mm-hmm. and I noticed like with fasting, it, was, it wasn't as fast, especially in the beginning, but it was consistent. People would, would continually lose weight at about the same rate. And then also what I noticed is it seemed more um, that it lasted, right? That once they reached their goal, they stayed there. And and they would continually update and show what they were doing. And, and I noticed that it seemed like their relationship with food had changed through the fasting. Maybe they learned something about themselves or, or, or eating or nutrition. I don't know. But it seemed like that worked overall much better. I have looked for medical studies about like success rates and everything, but I haven't been able to find anything. I don't know if that's been studied yet. It's being studied by Dr. Jason Fung, and there are others. Yeah. He's, he's the, the big name in fasting. Right, right. I know from my own personal experiences with fasting, the one thing that it's done for me is when I'm focused, because my weight gain came out of like a, a much more minor health issue mm-hmm. than you had, but also depression as well. Mm-hmm. When you remove those factors, fasting provides benefits that whether they seem scientific or not, I definitely think are there. One of which is you learn that you can skip a meal. Yeah. Which I think is a very valuable lesson that a lot of people, certainly people who are stuck on the standard Western diet or the standard American diet don't really realize is that if you miss a day of eating, it is not the end of the world. Right. You're not going to crumple up and just die on the ground. I don't know about you, but hunger used to be a big deal for me. Hmm. If there's been one benefit to fasting that I have is that hunger is not a big deal. I am very comfortable being a little bit hungry. It's it's not a life-altering, I must eat now or things must die situation anymore. I don't know if I was that extreme, but I, I think I was more Pavlovian. Like, oh, I feel hungry. I guess I need to. We are definitely conditioned for that. Yeah. Constantly snacking. Yeah. The intermittent fasting or even any degree of fasting Get you past the, oh, I don't need to snack mm-hmm. because I can, if I don't eat for three days, it's no big deal. Right. So clearly not eating for three hours is nothing. Right. Right. So I think that mindset more than anything else can help bring a degree of consistency 
because part of the way I believe as a society we've gotten to the point where the obesity epidemic has occurred is that we are eating seven to eight times a day, mostly sugar, carbohydrate-based products. You know, I was telling this to my cardiologist. I think too, even if you're just doing a diet, right, where you're trying to reduce your calories or you're trying to like, uh, let's say you're going vegan, so you're you're trying to not have animal products. It's easier to cheat because you're like, maybe I can have that. I'm not 100% sure, but it sure looks good, so I'm going to try it anyways. Whereas with fasting, can't have it. It's not it's not in the window yet. Well, that's that's also true. Yeah. So you found yourself on Instagram looking at people who are fasting going, hmm, they seem to be doing much better at this. Right. And it's Instagram. So they're all smiling and happy and I'm not. So like, I want that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I also watched some uh, Dr. Jason Fong, a uh, few others that are out there. Uh, I forget his name. There's a cardiologist out of uh, Orlando that talks a lot about fasting. Um, and he talks a lot about how like, he has uh, patients who fast for days uh, to release those um, uh, the stem cells that come out autophagy. Yeah, autophagy, and and uh, how he tells them, look, we can do that, or we can inject stem cells into your heart, and that's like seven grand to do that. And he was saying that in one of his speeches that like less than one percent of the stem cells take to the heart to help strengthen it. So with the injection, whereas with with fasting. You know, it's not 100% that they're all going to go there, but a f- more than 1% will, and that's free. So what do you want to do? <laughs> it's kind of like back with the surgery. You can control your – you can control by your how much you eat by shrinking your stomach, by banding it off, or you could just not eat for a couple days. Right. One, I don't know, $40,000 plus weeks of months of recovery or – one free and happening now and doesn't actually physiologically kill you. Well, and in my case, right, the weight loss surgery, like they needed my my hematologist to sign off on it, my cardiologist to sign off on it. They were going to need to bring in a special uh, uh, um, uh, anesthesiologist a, a, anesthesiologist that dealed with heart conditions because there's certain things they need to watch for. So like it was going to be a big ordeal just for me to get the surgery. That sounds like a six digit issue. Oh, easily. So it it was not nothing I was looking forward to. So how did you start with the fasting? I assumed that everything was centered around diet because I could imagine you would get trapped in bed. But I imagine when you weren't trapped in bed, exercising was probably horrifically difficult at this period. Yeah. And and I would look into it, right? I would look into like diets and methods and how people lost weight. And so I would try anything I could because I was so desperate, right? But but having done the the month of liquid diet, it made me realize, well, maybe I could also skip out the liquid and just do the fasting and try that. I mean, I, I went a month without eating, just doing the liquid. I mean, surely I have resolve, you know? And so I, I looked in how to do it. I, I started with the standard 16-8 like most people do. And, and, I, and I saw some results pretty, pretty quickly thereby. And that was exciting. Um, from there, I, I quickly moved up to, to OMAD, right? One meal a day. And man, I did that for like six months and lost like 80 pounds, I think. What did you eat when you had your one meal? I, I would do something low carb. I got really big into ceviche. I don't know if you know what ceviche is. 
you know, I, I, I want to appear a lot more cultured than I am. But <laughs> That's okay. It's Can you fry it? Yeah, yeah I live in North Idaho, man. When I tell people these things, nobody knows. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, ceviche is a, it's a, it's a Hispanic dish. A lot of Hispanic cultures have their version of it. But essentially, it's it's a um, uncooked fish that's cooked in like lime juice with different types of vegetables and fruits, and you can mix it and match it and have different types. Some ceviche has got like tilapia in it. Some has got um, shrimp in it. it. They're all different. I made some pretty good stuff with the uh, with shrimp and mango. Oh, so good! But you know, I I would get I would make my ceviche, and typically you put it on tostadas. You know, and when you're trying to do low carb, I I got a couple of those. Um, those low carb tortillas they make now mission. Yep. Yeah. Mission bake those in the oven. So they're crispy and put my ceviche on top and it was glorious. I'd still do that every now and then you were having success. You were having your ceviche, which does sound good. I got to admit. Yeah, it's pretty good. How much did this take you down? About 80 pounds in like six months. That is good. And they told me when I, when I went to the weight loss surgery uh, place, they said, if I'm lucky, I'll lose a uh, hundred pounds in a year. So to be at 80 in six months, I was like, I got this. Did you just stick on the, um, the 16.8? I would switch it back and forth. 16.8, uh, OMAD, depending on how I was No, you, you mentioned OMAD. So yeah. why did I even ask that question? Yeah. I'm paying attention to my it's, own interview. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. I would switch. I would switch every now and then, but mainly OMAD, mainly OMAD. And then, you know, losing weight, I, I was able to, to, to move around more, started going to the gym. You know, I wouldn't go too crazy, just really lightweights, you know, small amounts, but, but I was going and I was, I was getting my life back and, and that was, that was huge. And so from there I would just, I would keep going. And then finally there was a situation where like, I, I got to a, I was at a family function and the food that was available did not match what I was trying to do with OMAD. Right. And I looked around and I thought, well, I could eat what's here and I probably wouldn't do bad because I'm on OMAD. Right. I I would, I'd probably get away with it. Right. Yeah. You'd weather that you're, yeah, you were months of OMAD and low carb and yeah, no matter how gross the treat meal might've been, it wouldn't have in the long run done, had any effect on anything you were doing. Right. But then I thought, well, I could just not eat because at that point I've been doing OMAD so long that like I I was when it was time to eat, I wasn't always hungry. Right. Mm -hmm. And even smelling all the food, I wasn't hungry right then and there. So I decided I'm not going to eat and see what happens. And I went to bed that night without eating and, and I felt fine. And then I woke up and I wasn't hungry yet and I felt fine. And my window wasn't until much later in the day. And I thought, well, I got stuff to do. Screw it. I'm just going to go. And so I went nearly 48 hours for my first time, you know, basically because I decided not to eat junk food one day and, and I felt great. And I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. <laughs> and I loved it. Yeah. The first time you went 48 hours, you were primed because you were doing the OMAD, you were doing low carb. And, and I think a lot of people don't get how easy it is to do it when you're not afraid of it and you're not obsessing on it. And especially when you've already got your insulin levels down mm -hmm. and you have ketones present in the body so that the entire feeling of one, your body is already 
adapted to burning fat. Yeah, you got those ghrelin levels nice and down. Yeah, and you're going, so it just kind of goes smooth. Mm -hmm. The first time I did it, I felt fine the entire time, but the first day I was panicking just over the idea of not eating. Then you do it the first time, it's sort of like, oh man, this was easy. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly easy. Like it's, yeah, it's, uh, it was fun. And then I wanted to do it again. And so I did. I ate once and then I went another two days and, and that was great. And then I thought, well, shouldn't do this too much. Uh, I'll go back to OMAD. And so I did that. And so I constantly shifted, but the idea of like switching it up regularly kind of got stuck in my head. Right. That was always just kind of gnawing back there. And then I started watching, um, you know, I would watch YouTube videos on stuff and I would watch, uh, documentaries because I guess cause of my grandpa, right. With the, with the bodybuilding, I like watching bodybuilder like videos on how to work out. Cause I, you know, I want to get in shape. I want to firm up, but I don't want to be like huge. I don't want to be one of those guys. There's good, you know, how to do a deadlift or, or squats, how to do it properly. Like that's good to learn from them, you know? Yeah. It's good to know those things. So you don't shoot your spleen across the floor. Right. Right. Don't want that to happen. <laughs> So I was watching one of those videos and the guy in there was talking about how uh, it was good to regularly change up your workouts because your body adapts. Body confusion, yeah. Yeah. And and I thought, well, kind of makes sense for fasting. And then and then I thought about how fasting is designed to to mimic ancient eating patterns, how they would go hunt and gather and, and, and all that. When there was no food, there was no food. Right, right. And then like living up here in North Idaho, right, I know a lot of hunters. And I know that even with modern day stuff with like scopes and binoculars and drones and trail cams and all that, they don't always get the deer. No. You know? It's definitely a fair fight out there these days. Oh, well, yeah, for sure. Because the deer know what's up. No, it's not. But but still, even with that that advantage, they get away. Surprised me how much variation we're missing. I think you found your methodology. So you're basically doing low carb with uh, OMAD slash intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. Well, you're, you're switching it up because now you, well, let's get into your dice. Let's, let's bring them in because I think at this point you're using them anyway. Yeah. So you basically have a set of dice that tell you how you're going to be going through your next day or two. Yeah. Yeah. I came up with some dice that like, you know, I put all sorts of different fasting windows and eating windows on them. And then I just, I would roll them and change it up constantly. And it was like a game, like, what's it going to be this time? And well, gamifying is important too, because that's how we like to, we respond better to things that are set up like challenges. Yeah. 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 Um, not only that, but it was just, it was just fun, you know? And I, and I would like post, you know, what my windows are going to be you know, on my own social media just for fun. It was kind of neat too, because like, you know, with OMAD, I was only eating dinner. Right. And I would have friends every now and then who'd be like, Hey, we should go out to lunch. And I'd be like, well, I don't eat lunch, you know, but, but with this, you know, there were days, you know what? I, I can do a lunch. Let's do that. So socially it helped open things up for me. Not always, you know, I couldn't do it every day, but you know, every now and then. And that was kind of nice. That was nice to have that. And I was still losing weight, so it helped. So how is it going for you now? I mean, apparently, like, clearly at the start, you said you're down another to 160, so... Yeah. It's clearly going well, but how's it going for you now? Oh, dude, it's great. It's great. It's nuts. The The dice that I've developed are for intermittent fasting, so for, like, you know, 24-hour periods, roughly. 
I, I've got another set that I'm developing now that'll go up to three days. So, so that's the ones I use personally. So, you know, sometimes I'm doing rolling 72s, sometimes I'm, you know, 60 hours, 36 hours, whatever, whatever the, the dice command, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but it's working, man. Um, the, the one downside happened last week that was, I mean, it's not really downside, but it was kind of funny. Um, I went and saw the, the new Spider-Man with my brother-in-law, right? And we had agreed to a certain time and I was stoked because it was within my window and I was so excited to go see Spider-Man and get popcorn because it was within my window. I was going to, I was just going to enjoy it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, can we switch to this time instead? And it's out of my window and now I can't have my popcorn <laughs> and I can't. So I just had to sit there like I'm still watching the movie. I was having fun. But man, being in that theater, smelling all the popcorn around, that was a little rough. <laughs> you get it. You've been there. <laughs> no, yeah. No, I, I absolutely have. I've had gone gone places sort of like, well, we can't really do anything like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, one of my problems is my will is not necessarily as strong as I wish it would. So sometimes I simply crack. Mm. So, but yeah, in the situation, hey, we're going to go to this place. It's like, you're going to this place. I can't survive that. So <laughs> I... I, I'm going to sit at home and just gently cry into uh, probably into uh, my pillow. <laughs> you know, uh, one of the tricks that's really helped me with willpower, I, I came up with this idea where for me, I, I learned through the fasting that emotional eating was an issue for me, right? I would, I wouldn't eat a ton, but, but food was comfort, right? So feeling depressed, food was comfort. I think we're all wired that way, aside from the select few. Yeah, I mean, we literally have comfort food, right? That's a, that's a term. Yep. So I, I started carrying around a notebook, and whenever I felt down or, or felt like I needed to eat because of for comfort, right? I would write down what I'm feeling, why I'm feeling it, what I think I can do about it, if anything. And just in the in the five ten minutes it took to to write all that out, process it that snap trigger of like, I need to eat, I must have cheeseburger or whatever. It would start processing it and it would kind of like shake that loose. So then by the time I was done writing, yeah, I might still be a little bit hungry or, or feel a compulsion to eat, but that desire was not as intense and I could overcome it. That's a, that's a good tip. Yeah. And it's also a healthy way of trying to process feelings at the time when you're really caught up in them. Yeah. Well, thank you. Hopefully that helps somebody, you know. Your health has been improving. Oh, yeah. A lot. How has that also helped you in the rest of your life? Oh, man. So, like, my, my cardiologist appointments are so much better now. Like, my last appointment last week was just like, you know, we used to talk about you, you got a five-year window and that's it. And now it's like, yeah, you're doing good. Keep going. No more window. Yeah, the, the window is basically gone. Like, he's like, well... Maybe long term you'll still need a transplant, but we don't know. Like now, it's gone from five years to like I don't know, maybe twenty years from now you might, and and maybe by then like we'll like have something completely different that you don't need a transplant. So keep going. We don't know. My hematologist appointments are great. Like the last one I had, which was two months ago, they did blood work on me, and part of what they do is that they're checking for like proteins in your blood to to look for triggers of, of potential clots. He walks into the room after the, after doing the tests and he's like, Hey, uh, so your results are perfect. 
And I was like, oh, cool. Like, for me, right, with all my issues. He's like, no, 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 they're perfect. Awesome. Uh, I did ask. I was like, so that means I'm off thinners? Am I, am I done here? He's like, no, no, no. We, we, need, we need some. We need to know that it's going to stay this way before we pull everything. But so far, so good. The whole idea being that we're going to keep you on as a safety measure, not, not so much that we feel that you absolutely have to be on them now. So that's a victory. It's a big difference. Right. Big, big difference. So, yeah, uh, my, my health has improved. Uh, I have a girlfriend now. Haven't had one of those in a while. <laughs> you know? Congratulations. Yeah. So uh, it's it's nuts, man. It's nuts. That's really awesome. I'm glad to hear that you were able to get back control and move things forward. I've even got her fasting, actually. Probably for your own safety, we should not talk about the state of degree of your girlfriend on the public airwaves. I know that when I do with mine, I sleep downstairs for a while. <laughs> you probably saved me right there. I'm always looking out for the bros. Yeah, because... yeah. Thank you. Thank you. No problem. Aside from the bits of advice that came out throughout the course of this conversation already, mm-hmm. what advice would you give to somebody, not, not necessarily who had been in your state because- Oh, it's extreme. Yeah, it's extreme and it's specific. Yeah. But the average heavy person who is trying to get themselves started and they're depressed, they haven't- been able to get off the couch. What would be your pieces of advice to this person? What should they do? Either from a mindset standpoint, a physiological standpoint, or both? Yeah. How would you help them get off the couch? You know, one of the first thing I did when I really, when I was like, I'm going to do this, I'm, you know, this is going to happen. I had read a book on discipline, right? And in that book, they, I forget the name of the book. They talked about one of the ways, like if you really have a goal you want to achieve, it's good to write down your goals, right? Like that everybody knows like that's a good idea. But also write down what you think you're going to feel like when you achieve them and why you're worth achieving them. Because I think a lot of times, at least for myself, being overweight, self-sabotage is real, right? Oh, yes. So, so writing down why it's your worth doing these things and really putting it down on paper. And then whenever you feel like self-sabotage, whenever you feel like breaking, like I keep mine in my Google doc, right? So I can just grab it on my phone real quick and pull it up and, and, and see it. And and I remind myself of that. And, and I, because I, I wrote down what I want to feel like in the future, you know, that's more powerful than wanting Panda Express, <laughs> you know? you know what i mean like yeah i'm just like i was just caught for a moment on of all the things you could possibly want it was panda express that orange chicken is delicious i'm not gonna lie (laughs) (laughs) well you know just a couple weeks ago i was talking to somebody and it was wiener schnitzel yeah so yeah hey we all got our thing we all have our thing and if it's wiener schnitzel i still have deep 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 (laughs) thoughts of sympathy for that person so to have that, the goal of what you want and how you want to feel about it and refer to that before you break, I think that's a great tip. It, it helps so much, you know, it's not, it's not a silver bullet. Like every now and then, you know, like, I'm like, oh man, but I really want it, but, but I want that more. So, okay. Out of curiosity, do you break? I, I plan my breaks, right? I give myself one day a month where I'll have what I want. But the the funny thing is now I'm at the point where I don't want to. 
for like three months, I've been craving pizza. When it comes to the day, like Christmas is my day, right? And I, I don't, I, I don't, I want it, but I don't want it. The success is more important than the temporary fulfillment. Yeah. It's a good mindset to be in. Awesome, man. I'm glad this is all going so well for you, especially since you've effectively yeah, saved yeah. your life. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's great being at this end of it as opposed to the other end. So, Daniel, where can people find you when they're not finding you here? Yeah, so you know, fasting dice on all the socials. That's that's my stuff. So, Instagram, fasting dice, Twitter, fasting dice, Pinterest. TikTok. They're all there. As for me, I am the fittest fat kid you know, and you can find me everywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you've probably found me already. On socials, I am fittest fat kid. That is Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and also on Facebook. If you have a question, concern, if you would like to share your story, or if you just need a bit of advice, you can always ask me. And I'm at hi there at fittestfatkid.com. Still no website. At some point, maybe, hopefully, one day. And that will be www.fittestfatkid.com. If you are enjoying this podcast, please leave a like and a subscribe, or whatever your platform allows you to do. We would deeply appreciate it. We being me. So, whoever you are, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, hold yourself accountable but do it with kindness and understanding. And I'll talk to you next week.